All right. Good to see you today. Nice to be back after three weeks. Getting better, not completely well, but better. So if you would, um, turn to Isaiah 58, and then maybe put a finger there and go up to Jeremiah 4. Isaiah 58, and then Jeremiah 4. So I uh, finished Jeremiah not too long ago, and for me, I never saw uh, this passage that we're going to look at today as a unit. So 58, 59, and 60, and we're going to read those today. But as I read them, and I reread them, and reread them, and reread them, to me, it just seemed like these chapters formed a unit. <coughs> and a couple of things I want us to be aware of. One, that God gave us His Word from Genesis to Revelation because it speaks to every generation that lives. In other words, He gave us what we needed for every generation in which His children are going to live. So, right now in 2018, what God gave us is as relevant and as necessary for our generation as when it was first penned. So that's the first thing. It speaks to us. Second of all, for those of us that have come into this Hebraic mindset, we, we are beginning to see in increasing measure the chasm between the Christian mindset and the Hebraic or Messianic mindset. And I, I kind of want to segue into where we're going with this by saying this. Um, we have come to the understanding that we are Israel. We're not claiming to be Jews, but we are claiming to be Israelites because we have been grafted into Israel. So now when we read these Old Testament passages, we see ourselves in them like we never did before because it is speaking to God's people, Israel. What Christianity has done pretty much historically is to say that these passages, especially these ones where God is really mad, were for those bad, stupid, ignorant Jews. And so God had to just rip them a new one and look how bad they are. And that's kind of the mindset that I came up with in Christianity, that this stuff back here was for those bad people, but we're now the church. We, are, we have the Holy Spirit. Therefore, that was for them. Now we have Matthew through Revelation pretty much for us. And yes, there's some good stuff back there, but don't insert yourself back into what is being said too much because we're not back there. We're over in the New Testament. Now, we've come to the point where we disagree with that. Genesis to Revelation is all for all of God's people. And now we are, for those of us who are saved, we are Israelites. Just like Ruth, who was a Moabite, got saved, gave her heart to the God of Israel, left Moab, came back, lived in Judah, so therefore she was an Israelite who lived in the tribe of Judah, so therefore she was an Israelite Jewess. Right? Correct. Okay. We're the same. But through Yeshua, we've been grafted in, we're told in the book of Romans, 
And now we are Israelites. And so when we read stuff in Isaiah and Jeremiah, now we read it like, oh yeah, that's me. That's me. And Paul told us that we're supposed to learn from the things that were previously written. But somehow we don't do that because we don't... Christianity doesn't... We didn't see ourselves in there. Well, now we do. And to me, that's... It's so exciting. Because I tell you, I think Satan was so smart in getting us away from a lot of this in the Old Testament so that we become weak and anemic. And somehow when we would read in the New Testament quotations from the Old Testament, it just never clicked. So anyway, I'm kind of excited because there's a force in these passages that really I've not seen before because now I see myself there. All right, so those that's the introduction. Now, I've entitled this, well, party introduction. I've entitled this, Darkness Before Light. Darkness Before Light. <coughs> now, my introduction. <coughs> Try to get what I'm going to say now. It's bad enough that the world, the unsaved lost, are in darkness. But it's beyond bad when God's people are in darkness. And when it gets to where God's people exhibit, manifest more dark than light, God has to act. Right? That's my thesis. That's the premise of where I'm going today. It's bad enough that the world, the unsaved lost, are in darkness. But it's beyond bad when God's people are in darkness. And when it gets to where God's people exhibit or manifest more dark than light, God has to act. And I believe we're seeing an increasing darkness manifested in the lives of God's people than light. And I want to prove this from what we're going to look at today. Now, turn, if you're in Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 4. And verse 13. And we're going to get to Isaiah 58 in a minute, I hope. All right, Isaiah 4, what, verse 3. I didn't mean verse 13. Verse 3. All right. Jeremiah. Jeremiah 4. I don't know what I've been saying. No, you've been saying. Okay, Jeremiah 4, verse 3. For thus saith Yehovah to the men of Judah. Wait a minute. Jeremiah 4, verse 3. I said 13 by mistake, I think. Okay. Jeremiah 4, okay. All right. For thus saith Yehovah to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground, and sow not among thorns. Now, I, I had to look up fallow ground because I always had this image in my head of what fallow ground is, plus how I've always heard this verse preached on fallow ground. So I came up, while I was searching this out, uh, Henry Morris, he's a creation, Institute for Creation Research, he's, he's dead now, but the ministry is still going on, but he had this cool little thing on fallow ground, and this is what he says, it's short, fallow ground is ground that has been plowed and readied for sowing, but then is withheld and allowed to lie useless and unproductive. 
So in my mind immediately went back to my aunt's farm. I can just see it as, it's all ready to go. Let's plant. No, they don't plant. It's never happened, but no, they don't plant. So when it sits like that, that is then fallowed ground. It is withheld and allowed to lie useless and unproductive. God, through his prophet, had to rebuke his people, not only because they had left their prepared ground unused, but because they were actually sowing their seed on thorn-choked ground. That is, they were turning to idols and forsaking God. The same word occurs one other time in the Bible and to the same effect. Sow it to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till He come and rain righteousness upon you. Hosea 10, 12. It is poor stewardship and a bad testimony at best for the people of God to ignore His righteousness and fail to cultivate His grace in their lives, choosing instead the philosophies and pleasures of the ungodly world around them. More dark than light. That was me. Now, he continues, if the ancient Israelites had much unfruitful, fallow ground in their lives, many modern Christians are still more blameworthy. For we have a far... For we have far greater opportunities and privileges than they ever had. Well, a little disagreement there, but just follow it. Most of all, we have the complete <laughs> Word of God and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, yet our lives are even more cluttered with the thorny ground of worldliness and paganism than theirs. We urgently need to break up our fallow ground to sow righteousness and reap Mercy, be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And I wasn't expecting him to find this, but he said, yet our lives are even more cluttered with the thorny ground of worldliness and paganism than theirs. Wow. That is powerful stuff. I, I would be thinking, oh, sure, Warren, that's your crazy thoughts. But this is Henry Morris. Uh, he's world-renowned. Telling God's people, we're a mess. And what I'm saying is what he just said, and a few more verses we're going to look at Jeremiah, we are exhibiting as God's people across the board more dark than light, right? If you are filled with worldliness and paganism, as Moore said, that's not light, is it? That's dark. Now, part of the problem is, wow, we as God's people don't realize we are in darkness. And this is what Jeremiah and Isaiah write to. If you've read the prophets, they're constantly saying, in essence, how can you not see how bad you are? That's why he sent the prophets. So it's not these bad, sinful Jews back then. This is still God's people today, and it's going to get increasingly worse, as we're going to read in Isaiah, to where Yeshua has to come back and fix it all, because it's going to be such a stinking mess. All right, now... Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 22. 
this just lets us know the condition of God's people, that how bad it can get, right? Jeremiah 4.22. For my people is foolish. They have not known me. They are sottish children, and they have none understanding. They are wise to do evil, but to do good they have no Knowledge. What's the problem? More dark than light. All right. Just got more. Chapter five. Dude, what does sodish mean? Sodish means um, uh, senseless, stupid. What? What do you have? Silly. silly. Lots of times, yeah, it, they'll translate it silly, foolish, senseless. Uh, it's along those lines. Sodish. S o t t i s h. All right, now, chapter 5 of Jeremiah, verse 1. Oh, and I remember this. And so I have my 1611 reproduction here. It's interesting, and I like that they do this. Before every chapter, they kind of break it out, uh, give a, a brief outline at the top. Let me tell you what they wrote and tell me how you perceive what they're saying. All right, the judgments of God upon the Jews for their perverseness, for their adultery, for their impiety, for their contempt of God, and for their corruption in the civil state, and ecclesiastical. Now that's accurate. But me, all my years in Christianity, it's like, those stupid bad Jews, of course God's going to let them have it. What I want us to see is the judgments of God upon Israel, us, for their perverseness, for their adultery, for their impiety, for their contempt of God, and for their great corruption in the civil state and ecclesiastical. That's bad stuff. What is that? More dark than light. All right, verse 1. Uh, Run ye to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem, and see now and know, and seek in the broad places thereof, if ye can find a man. If there be any that executeth judgment, that seeketh the truth, and I will pardon it. Here you go. And though they say, Yehovah liveth, surely they swear falsely. O Yehovah, are not thine eyes upon the truth? Thou hast stricken them, but they have not grieved. Thou hast consumed them, but they have refused to receive correction. They have made their faces harder than a rock. They refuse to to return. All right, same chapter, verse 25. All right, 25. Uh, your iniquities have turned away these things, and your sins have withholden good things from you. For among my people are found wicked men. They lay wait as he that setteth snares. They set a trap, they catch men. As a cage is full of birds, so are their houses full of deceit. Therefore, they are become great and waxen rich. They are waxen fat. They shine. Notice. Yet they overpass the deeds of the wicked. They judge not the cause, the cause of the fatherless, yet they prosper. In the sight of the needy do they not judge. Shall I not visit for these things, saith Yehovah? Shall not my soul be avenged on such a nation as this? 
a wonderful and horrible thing is committed in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests bear rule by their means, and my people love to have it so. And what will ye do in the end thereof? This to me is powerful stuff. And it's speaking to where we are. I'm going to use Christianity for everything that falls under God's people. The condition of Christianity is so bad, it pretty much parallels what was going on here. And God had to bring judgment. I mean, I'm blown away where it says, verse 28, Yea, they overpassed the deeds of the wicked. God's people are a mess. We are. You just can't get around it. So, I'm almost through my introduction. I know it would take a while. All right, so, with that, I got, in my reading, 58, 59, 60 of Isaiah, which we're going to go to, <coughs> I, I constantly think about the state of our nation and the state of Christianity in our nation and the impact that our nation has had around the world, more present than latter, because they had a good influence around the world. Now it's bad. It's a bad influence around the world. You can't get away from the truth of this. So, here's... I'm almost afraid to say this, and I've been saying the first two of the four that I'm going to mention for years, and I always get a little bit, not necessarily from us, but get a little bit of pushback. There is no hope for America. Or for the world. But let's just focus on America. There's no hope for America. Period. I'm hearing more and more say that, but the majority still do not see America so bad to conclude there's no hope for America. There is no hope. I'm going to give you the four reasons why. One. Abortion. Abortion! <coughs> Since 1973, the year I got saved, which was Roe versus Wade came in to practice, into law, the millions and millions and millions of babies that have been slaughtered in our country. And not only that, because of our influence around the world, and if I'm still remembering this right, because it's been years since I read it, if a country wants our financial aid, they, and they've never done abortions before, they have to agree to do abortions or we will not give them our financial aid. It's bad enough what we've done in our own country, but now this influence is around the world. There's no hope for the blood, the innocent blood that has been shed on these grounds in America for God to have a, a possibility of cleansing without annihilation, wiping out. Because he does not forgive the shedding of innocent blood except by the shedding of those who shed the innocent blood. <laughs> this is me, 100%, not seeing anybody else say it, but to me that was the Civil War was the last hope for a national cleansing for our country. And I believe, in part, it's my own theory, that the Civil War was God cleansing with all the shedding of blood of our own people because of the horror of our crimes. <laughs> Number two, homosexuality, the LGBT thing. No hope. No hope. 
No! It's not going to happen, folks. And I'm not going to elaborate. Number three, this is one that I'm adding. Islam. Muslims. There's just no hope anymore because of our governmental position on Islam and what is being allowed to happen in our country and the influx of Muslims around the world and how much territory they possess and what is happening by their influence in countries. Great Britain, United States, Germany, Sweden. This is so bad. Now, I'm afraid to mention this one because we have now Chrislam. Chrislam, Christians and Islam together. Listen, we, our ignorance is killing us. Because we're ignorant about Catholicism, now we have some big-name guys, Rick Warren for one, going over to Catholicism. And some well-known people saying, they signed something, and saying, oh, the Reformation's over and done with. So, Catholicism and now Quislam, and if you've been reading my blogs, what the Catholic Church itself says about Muslims, it's alarming. Abortion, the LGBT homosexual thing, Islam, and then the last one I've mentioned. God's people are a mess. God's people are a mess. We consider ourselves, I think, in the right sense, I understand what I'm saying, kind of the cream of the crop because we're in the Messianic movement. And look, we're, we wear zitzits and, you know, we try to observe the festivals. We sing Shabbat Shalom. We worship on the Sabbath. We don't eat bacon. Honestly, those of us that are listening to me, you got some dark spots. And I think our dark spots have probably grown a little bit bigger than they have been before. Now, we're going to read Isaiah, so go back to Isaiah. We're going to read Isaiah 58, 59. I'm going to read it without commenting. We have to see the context together, all right? I will give you just a couple sentence outline, my outline, of what I'm seeing happening in these chapters. We'll read the chapter, and I'll summarize again, giving you the same thing. And then after we go through these three chapters, we're going to look at verses about darkness. I have ten of them. I'm not going to say a whole lot about them. They're self-explanatory, but I want us to see that if there is any hope, it's that people get saved. That's the only hope. And I want us to see that those of us that are saved have come from darkness to light. And our responsibility is to get others who are in darkness to light. And it can't happen through us, me included, if, there's, if, if we're battling dark and light within us all the time. All right? All right, so chapter 58 of Isaiah. Here's my brief description of the chapter, then we'll read it. As we read these chapters, please take note of when you see light and dark, okay? Because this is where I'm going with this. <coughs> All right, Isaiah, uh, chapter 58. God's people are spiritually bankrupt as a people. They don't see, they don't recognize the condition they're in. They are, in effect, 
whited sepulchers full of death and decay. I'm talking to God's people here, not the stupid Jews. Israel, and I'm talking to us because God gave this to us in his word because he wants to speak to us today, all right? God's people are spiritually bankrupt as a people. They don't see, recognize, and condition they're in. They are, in effect, white as sepulchers full of death and decay. All right, let's go. Cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgression, and the house of Jacob their sins. Yet, they seek me daily, and delight to know my ways, as a nation that did righteousness, and forsook not the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinance of justice. They take delight in approaching to God. Does that not sound like today? All right. Wherefore, now this is their response. Wherefore have we fasted, say they, and thou seest not? Where have, wherefore have we afflicted our soul, and thou takest no knowledge? Behold, in the day of your fast you find pleasure, and exact all your labors. Behold, ye fast for strife and debate, and to smite with the fist of wickedness. Ye shall not fast as ye do this day, to make your voice to be heard on high. Is it such a fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head as a bulrush and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Wilt thou call this a fast, an acceptable day to Yehovah? Is not this the fast that I have chosen, to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free, and that ye break every yoke? Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry, and that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house? When thou seest the naked, that thou cover him, and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh, then shall thy light break forth as the morning, and thine health shall spring forth speedily, and thy righteousness shall go before thee. The glory of Jehovah shall be thy reward. Then shalt thou call, and Jehovah shall answer. Thou shalt cry, and he shall say, Here I am. If thou take away from the midst of thee the yoke, the putting forth of the finger, and speak in vanity. Let me just stop here. The putting forth of the finger. Interestingly, I found two sources said that this is referring to giving the middle finger. I found that fascinating, and they go into a little bit, and I won't. But I thought that was interesting. And putting forth the finger and speak in vanity. Verse 10. And if thou draw, draw out thy soul to the hungry, and satisfy the afflicted soul, then shall thy light rise in obscurity, and thy darkness be as the noonday. And Jehovah shall guide thee continually, and satisfy thy soul in drought, and make fat thy bones, and thou shalt be like a watered garden, and like a spring of water, whose waters fail not. And they that shall be of thee shall build the old waste places. Thou shalt raise up the foundations of many generations, and thou shalt be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of paths to dwell in. If thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath of delight, the holy of Jehovah, honorable, and shalt honor him, not doing thine own ways, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words. Then shalt thou delight thyself in Jehovah, 
And I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth and feed thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father. For the mouth of Jehovah has spoken. So, God's people are spiritually bankrupt. They don't see or recognize the condition they're in. They are, in effect, whited sepulchers full of death and decay. Now, it just keeps building to a crescendo here. 59. Everything is unraveling, verses 1 through 8. Darkness has enveloped everything, verses 9 through 10. Truth is eclipsed, verses 14 through 15. So therefore, God must act, 16 through 21. Right? Chapter 60. Uh, 59, I'm sorry. 59. All right. Behold, the Lord's, uh, Yehovah's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But, we have a problem. Your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies, your tongue hath muttered perverseness. None call for justice, nor any pleadeth for truth. They trust in vanity and speak lies. They conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity. They hatch cockatrice eggs and weave the spider web. He that eateth of their eggs dieth, and that which is crushed breaketh out into a viper. Their webs shall not become garments, neither shall they cover themselves with their works. Their works are works of iniquity, and the act of violence is in their hand. Their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity, wasting, and destruction are in their paths. The way of peace they know not, and there is no judgment in their goings. They have made them crooked paths. Whosoever goeth therein shall not know peace. Therefore is judgment far from us, neither doth justice overtake us. We wait for light, but behold obscurity, for brightness, but we walk in darkness." We grope for the wall like the blind, and we grope as if we had no eyes. We stumble at noonday as in the night. We are in desolate places as dead men. We roar all like bears and mourn like doves. We look for judgment, but there's none for salvation, but it's far off from us. For our, our transgressions are multiplied before thee, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and as for our iniquities, we know them. In transgressing and lying against Jehovah, and departing away from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood, and judgment is turned away backward, and justice standeth afar off. For truth is fallen in the street, and equity cannot enter. Yea, truth faileth, and he that departeth from evil maketh himself a prey. And Yehovah saw it, and it displeased him that there was no judgment. And he saw that there was no man. I wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his arm brought salvation unto him, and his righteousness, it sustained him. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate, and an helmet of salvation upon his head. And he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing, and was clad with zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, accordingly he will repay. Fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies. To the islands he will repay recompense. So shall they fear the name of Jehovah from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the spirit of Jehovah shall lift up a standard against him. 
and the Redeemer shall come to Zion, and unto them that turn from transgression in Jacob, saith Yehovah. As for me, this is my covenant with them, saith Yehovah. My spirit that is upon thee, and my words which I put in thy mouth, shall not depart out of thy mouth, nor out of the mouth of thy seed, nor out of the mouth of thy seed's seed, saith Yehovah, from henceforth and forever. Now, we're going from bad to worse. There seems to be a little bit of glimmer there. But now we're going to get into chapter 60. So 59, everything's unraveling 1 to 8. Darkness has enveloped everything, verses 9 and 10. Truth is eclipsed, verses 14 and 15. God has to act, 16 through 21. Now, chapter 60. The Messiah must and will eventually appear to set it all right. It's the only thing that's going to fix it. the only thing, folks. Chapter 16. Now again, keep remit, uh, remit, uh, notice light and dark. Rise there, uh, sorry, rise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of Yehovah is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. Now, this is what started me on all this, because I don't know about any of you, but to me, I think we're living in those days. Darkness is covering the earth and gross darkness the people. There is so much. I mean, you're out in the world every day. There's darkness. It's everywhere. Everywhere. All right. Verse 2, the second part. But Yehovah shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. Lift up thine eyes round about and see. All they gather themselves together, they come to thee. Thy sons shall come from far, and thy daughters shall be nursed at thy side. Then thou shalt see and flow together, and thine heart shall fear and be enlarged, because of the abundance of the sea shall be converted unto thee. The forces of the Gentiles shall come unto thee. The multitude of camels shall cover thee, the dromedaries of Midian and Ephah, and they from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and incense, and they shall show forth the praises of Yehovah. All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered together unto thee. The rams of Nebaioth shall minister unto thee. They shall come up with acceptance on mine altar, and I will glorify the house of my glory. This is all future. Who are these that fly as a cloud and as a doves to their windows? Surely the isles shall wait for me and the ships of Tarshish first to bring thy sons from far, their silver and their gold with them unto the name of Yehovah thy God and to the Holy One of Israel because he hath glorified thee. And the sons of strangers shall build up thy walls and their king shall minister unto thee for in my wrath I smote thee but in my favor have I had mercy on thee. Therefore, thy gates shall be open continually. They shall not be shut day nor night, that men may bring unto thee the force of the Gentiles, and that their kings may be brought. For the nation and kingdom that will not serve thee shall perish. Yea, those nations shall be utterly wasted. The glory of Lebanon shall come unto thee, the fir tree, the pine tree, and the box together, to beautify the place of my sanctuary, and I will make the place of my feet glorious. The sons also of them that afflicted thee shall come bending unto thee. And all they that despise thee shall bow themselves down at the soles of thy feet. And they shall call thee the city of Yehovah, 
the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Wherefore thou hast been saken and hated, so that no man went through thee, I will make thee an eternal excellency, a joy of many generations. Thou shalt also suck the milk of the Gentiles, and shalt suck the breast of kings. And thou shalt know that I, Yehovah, am thy Savior, and thy Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. For brass I will bring gold, and for iron I will bring silver, and for wood brass, and for stones iron. I will also make thy officers peace, and thine exactors righteousness. Violence shall no more be heard in thy land. Wasting nor destruction within thy borders, but thou shalt call thy walls salvation and thy gates praise. The sun shall be no more thy light by day, neither for brightness shall the moon give light unto thee, but Jehovah shall be unto thee an everlasting light, and thy God thy glory. The sun shall no more go down, neither shall thy moon withdraw itself. For Jehovah shall be thine everlasting light, and the days of thy mourning shall be ended. Thy people also shall be all righteousness. They shall inherit the land forever, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I may be glorified. A little one shall become a thousand, and a small one a strong nation. I, Jehovah, will hasten it in his time." We won't go into it, but interesting verse, uh, chapter 61, is talking about Yeshua right off the bat. And it's parallel in Luke chapter 4. Now, the Messiah must and will eventually appear to set it all right. Gosh. You know, verse 2, Behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and gross darkness the people. But Yehovah shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee, and the Gentile shall come to thy light, and kings to thy brightness of thy rising. And I think that started to be fulfilled when you hit 61 and realize Yeshua came the first time. He sets up his kingdom, spiritually speaking. He's building it. He's reaching out with the gospel message to the Gentiles to bring them in, and they will bring in also God's people. And when he is ready, he is going to come back and set up his kingdom. No sun, no moon. He's going to light it forever. And everything will be reset. And that's the only thing that can cleanse and fix the mess we're in. He has to come. So what are we battling against? We are battling against darkness, folks. And I, we, we have to realize this. I struggle with this every day. Because in the midst of the darkness that I work in, there are some very nice, good people. And, and I, I like them a lot. But it's easy to forget they are in darkness. You know, there's varying degrees of darkness. Can I say it this way? I mean, you have satanic darkness. But then you have Matthew chapter 7 where, what do you mean you don't know me? I've preached in your name, cast out demons in your name, done miracles in your name. You go from the depths of demonic darkness to the heights of religious religiosity where they look pretty good. They're even preaching. They're standing behind the pulpits. We, we get confused. We get confused. And we have forgotten to realize that 
Everybody that is not saved around us is in darkness. And until we shine as lights, me included, and I'm not doing the best of jobs because I, my head is spinning so much, not as an excuse, but my head's spinning. I don't even know where to begin. I mean, when I got saved in 73, you could start a casual conversation with anybody pretty much because you didn't have to deal with abortion. You didn't have to deal with homosexuality. You didn't have to deal with Islam. And at that time, it was probably the tail end of the Christian evangelical movement in our country being in a good condition. You had a platform to work from. Now... It's just like there's obstacles all over the place. If you want to say somebody is lost and in sin and needing the Savior who's a homosexual or a Muslim or performing abortions, you're the bad guy. We are now the bad guys. And for me, who's been saved 45 years now, I'm just kind of really... So, I want to focus on this, and we're just going to look at these verses. I don't think I have anything to say, but I need us, me, to see that darkness is the problem. Darkness will be the problem at the end times. A gross darkness is going to cover over everything. If you've not sensed it descending, I don't know what to tell you, but darkness is everywhere. It's just everywhere covering everything. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be when the Son of Man comes. Right? You know, this was heresy. I was mentioning it to Melissa. I got thinking about Noah. And I say heresy. This is just my own stupid thinking, so don't shoot at me. Because this is just weird. But don't you wonder how there could have been nobody else saved except Noah and his family? I mean, I wonder about that. Now, my heretical thinking was, and, and don't go anywhere with this, I'm just trying to make sense in my head of stuff. This, so this is where I'm going to try to make sense of the mess we're in. But what if some, in other words, we who come into the Messianic movement, we know what it is to try to convince our friends and loved ones to jump on board with this ark of ours, right? Well, here you have Noah. Evidently, it's not rain, build this humongous boat to put people on I wonder if he had a struggle with things like we do and I, this, this is heretical but could there have been say people that just drowned because they weren't willing to get on the ark I, I, you know I don't know where to go with this you know because we look around us today as it was in the days of Noah so shall it be when the son of man comes Anyway, I'm getting off on a tangent, but I don't know what to do with this stuff anymore. Because I'm telling you folks, just like Israel had pastors and priests and uh, leaders that, that were doing it all in the name of God, they were lost. We have pastors, we have preachers, we have priests, we have legislators that are religious people, but they're lost. All right, anyway. Okay, so let's go back to Isaiah chapter 8. And then we're, we're just going to be progressing forward in verses. And like I told you, I have 10 of them. 10 passages. So Isaiah 8. This is 
starts us on our journey of this idea of darkness. Right? Isaiah 8, uh, verse 19. Okay. Isaiah 8, 19. And when they shall say unto you, Seek unto them that have familiar spirits, and unto wizards that peep and that mutter, should... This is a, a little bit of a parenthesis now. Should not a people seek unto their God? That's a parenthesis. So let's read it this way. And when they shall say unto you, uh, Seek unto them that have familiar spirits, and unto wizards that peep and mutter, for the living to the dead. Then we could, just for clarity, it, should not a people seek unto their God? So that's, that's, that's a rebuke. You have God's people that are seeking them that have familiar spirits, wizards that peep, and mutter. And they're, they're seeking the living to talk to the dead. Is that what God's people are supposed to do? No. 20. To the Torah and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it's because there is no light in them. Now what do we do with this now as Hebraic Messianics? Now that we know how much Christianity is rejecting the Torah. And I, I never thought I'd say this, but you reject the Torah, you reject light. And if you reject these books back here, except for the nice passages that make you feel good, you are going to be increasingly filled with darkness and the light will be dimmed and you will have evangelical Christianity of 2018 in the mess it is. Because it just gets increasingly worse. And as we are now living in a country that is Torahless, in a world that is Torahless, and Christianity that's by and far Torahless, more so now than ever, the Reformers weren't to the degree that Christian preachers are now. Even Lester Roloff preached on the fact that God said, you wouldn't need a buzzard, would you? Well, buzzard in the same category as a hog. What are you eating a hog for? <laughs> He had no problem with living by the dietary law. None whatsoever. Where am I going with all this? Oh. So to the law, to the Torah and the testimony, this is where the darkness starts to creep in. All right, 21. And they shall pass through it, hardly be stead and hungry. And it shall come to pass that when they shall be hungry, they shall fret themselves and curse their king and their God and look upward. And they shall look unto the earth, and behold trouble and darkness, dimness of anguish, and they shall be driven to darkness. Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation. When at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan in Galilee, of the nations. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death upon them hath light shine. Ring a bell to anybody? Sure. Right. All right. And we're going to look at that. So let's go to Matthew chapter 4. So what we're seeing is things are really bad and Messiah has to come to fix it. Well, he came the first time. He's building his kingdom and he's going to come back again as it said at the end of Isaiah 60 that he's going to take care of everything. That no sun, no moon. I'll be there all the time. The doors will be open. Everybody's going to live a long time. But there's a whole lot of hell you have to go through to get there. All right, Matthew 4. 
Now this is a fulfillment of what we just read. If I can get there. The problem with this Bible that I bought today is it's Roman numerals. Alright, Matthew, uh, uh, what I say? Matthew 4, <clears throat> verse 12. Now, when Yeshua had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast, in the borders of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness saw great light, and to them which sat in the region of the shadow of death, light has sprung up. Well, the people Yeshua came to minister to had a hard time seeing that they were in light. I mean, that they were in darkness and that they were not in light. And that's why Yeshua came. It was dark. He fulfilled what Isaiah said because it was dark and he had to come a light unto the world. All right. Uh, Luke chapter 1. Wow, I'm going, am I going long? It seems like I'm going long. All right, Luke chapter 1, um, verse 76. All right, it's, we're picking up the narrative about John the Baptist. All right, verse 76. And thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. This is why John came, and this is why Yeshua comes. All right, uh, where am I here? John chapter 3. Classic passage, but we have to put it in the context of this encroaching development, uh, uh, envelopment of darkness. All right, so John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hates the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be manifest that they are wrought in God. If they hate the light, folks, they hate us. No matter how nice and friendly they are. They're not on our side. We're not on their side. There's a bridge, a chasm. All right, John chapter 8. And what? What did I say? John 8. Verse 12. Then spake Yeshua again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but, have, but shall have the light of life. So if you're not in Yeshua, what are you walking in? Darkness, right? Okay. John 12. 46. 
I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. All right, Ephesians 5. Starting at verse 8. Ephesians 5, 8. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them, for it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light, for whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Arise thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Messiah shall give thee light. All right, Colossians chapter 1. This is one of my favorite verses. I like, I, I like it because it uh, speaks to the reality of what I'm trying to get to. All right, Colossians 1, verse what? 12. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. What's so good about that? Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Now, um, I have to ask, have you experienced the fact that you have been delivered from the power of darkness and have been translated into the kingdom of his dear son, which is light? That's <coughs> salvation, folks. And I think this is why we have such a problem in evangelical Christianity, because I think we have preachers behind the pulpit and people sitting in the pews that are lost. Yeah. That do not know. Ask them. Put <coughs> them down. Are you saved? How do you know you're saved? You know, I, I tell people, listen, I know I'm saved because I was in darkness and I was translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His dear Son. I know that. Because I was in so much darkness when I got saved, the, the infusion of light was so drastic I couldn't miss it. Right? And Paul says, and Yeshua said, listen, if you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness. You'll be in light. If you're in Yeshua, you have to know that the darkness that he has said was in you has been dispelled. Doesn't mean you won't ever struggle, but that thing way down inside has been settled. All right, the last one, 1 Peter 2. This is another good one. 1 Peter 2, verse 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. <sighs> Alright, so let's wind this all down. God is calling out a remnant in preparation for the Messiah's return. And that's what he says here. The chosen generation, royal puts a holy nation, uh, who hath called you 
God is calling out a remnant in preparation for the Messiah's return. Therefore, those of us who are called out, we are the light of the world, and we are called upon to shine. Because one day, turn up to Revelation 21, one day the darkness will be gone, Yeshua will be here, and light will envelop everything, and darkness will grow into dimness. Uh, darkness will grow into... Go away. All right, Revelation 21. There, you, you might remember when you read these verses, it parallels Isaiah 60, 19 through 22. So Revelation 21, verse 22. And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need, uh, no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the, and they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination, or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of light. Revelation 22, verse 5. And there shall be no night there. They shall need no candle, nor light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever. Verse 20. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. And we say, Even so. Come, Lord Jesus. Right? That's it. Darkness before light. It's helped me to realize in my own personal struggle with what I'm seeing that this is what has to happen. The darkness is going to get worse and worse and worse. And as we feel it encroaching us and encircling us, we need to just be the light that we're supposed to be. I don't know exactly what that means. But I'll close with this. So I was out six days driving the bus. Got back, one of the kids gave me an eight and a half by eleven piece of paper. Said, get well soon. All kinds of drawings, little pictures on it. Some of the kids signed their name. And one of them said, Jesus is with you. Now, I've never mentioned Jesus. I've never said anything about it. But I've been praying and asking that God the Holy Spirit will somehow work and move through me so that the kids will know. Folks, I don't know how to be light. I don't know what words we're supposed to say, what acts we're supposed to do, but I think if we walk with God on a daily basis, our light will shine through us, even if we aren't cornering somebody with the gospel and beating them over the head. But the light that we live is in such contrast that it gets people's attention. So let's shine. Father, thank you for your word. I know this has been long, but maybe we've got three weeks, three weeks made up here. But I didn't know how else to handle this because these chapters are so powerful. We're seeing the darkness, the gross darkness envelop everything. I've started to lose hope, but this passage has given me hope that yes, it's going to get dark. It's going to be as bad as it was in the days of Noah. But yet we have to shine. We have to let Yeshua live through us. 
the Holy Spirit manifest His presence, that we have the fruit of the Spirit working in through us. And somehow, trusting you that our light is shining through our lives, and then when we have the opportunity to open up our mouth and speak boldly for Yeshua, realizing there's going to be a cost, like it was for the early disciples, found themselves in jail, but they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer affliction for Yeshua. Father, help us to just glorify you. Yeshua's name.